Project A Podcast. Welcome to this new episode of the Project A Podcast uh, for founders. My name is Charlotte and I lead the venture development team here at Project A. I'm really happy and excited to welcome Anna today, who is the co-founder of Invested and a global talent leader with previous international work experience at N26, Uber, Zalando and TomTom. I'm really excited to pick Anna's brain and have her share her learnings from working with high growth scale-ups on all things talent. So Anna, before we dive into the questions, please introduce yourself to everyone. Well, my pleasure, Charlotte. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, so I'm Anna and I've, uh, I'm Dutch, as everyone can hear. I never lost the accent. I'm very sorry for this. No, and I've um, uh, been in the talent space for over 15 years, uh, mainly working with fast-growing tech organization, organizations and help them scale uh, successfully. Um, especially on a strategic level, as well as building the operations and, and, and large recruitment teams in order to deliver on the growth plans. So, as Charlotte said, have been with TomTom at Hypergrowth, Zalando at Hypergrowth, Uber, N26 and Molly. I'm sort of addicted to it. Uh, and uh, since uh, last year, I founded Invested together with my business partner, Noor van Boven. And we help organizations to successfully scale by either consulting as well as by investing. We can talk a bit about that later on in this podcast. Yeah, really excited to hear a little bit more about what you're up to nowadays uh, at the end of the podcast. But um, diving into the into the world of talent acquisition, so from all the experience that you have gathered over the last years working with these scale-ups and founder teams, what are some of the bad and good decisions that you've seen founders make after they've received their first or second round of funding in terms of talent acquisition? Yeah, I think while growing your organization and while adding people along the way, I think the most important thing to start with is to think about what are you looking for? And it sounds very logical, and I keep on repeating this, I think to everyone I talk to, because I see it happen rarely very well. So you need to think firstly on what kind of profile do I look for and what does this, do these people need to deliver in the next 80 to 24 months, really on output. That's the first thing you need to figure out, like how does great looks like for you? And then secondly, in what type of context and environment uh, would, will these people be working? Yeah, and therefore, what are these people need to bring to make this a success? I often see that there are, you know, biases against uh, a lot of times very successful tech organizations, and that people coming from those organizations are by default going to be successful in your organization. And I often see that goes wrong, and there is a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, disappointment around that. I think realizing that large organizations uh, are also in a certain period and these people coming from now Netflix or Google or Facebook, as an example, uh, are supported and it's a very structured environment. These people not necessarily will be the right people for you when you're scale up, everything you need to tie together, there's no structure. They could be, but that's really something you need to assess very clearly throughout the process and be very deliberate on what you need to see from these people in order to check if they're successful. It could well be that some people coming from other scale-ups could be way more successful yeah, and will show you more great operating skills than some of the other people from large organizations. So thinking around that is really important. Uh, and, and tie that into your assessment and hiring process, I think, is crucial for your success. 
Another challenge that I see frequently is that while you're scaling, it will ask different things from you as a founder, where you probably in the beginning will be very much be included in making the hiring decisions. Probably at once, at one moment, this doesn't scale because you're going to hire more people. You're, you, you, you know, everyone has 24 hours in a day. So at one side, you will find that you actually stretch so much that you actually might delay the hiring process. Yeah, so that's something that I see that you, that I would try to avoid as founder. What I would do in that case, I think it all comes back to you are building up your organization. It's your, your, your baby, basically. You're also guiding the culture and the people that you want to add to your, your company. Is really thinking about how do we ensure that I have a quality assessment and a very standardized process so it can trust that the people that are leading that process or are part of that process assess on the right skills and traits and competencies and maybe even thinking about moments in the time where you could dip into the process and ensure hey this is actually the quality that we're looking for and i'm approving to hire and one way of doing that is by you know getting a process in place where you have hiring committee and offer committees in the hiring committee there's a group of people that decide on yes this person meets the quality bar and we're going over to hire this person and the offer committee is a committee where we say hey yes we hire these people and this is the packages that we'll provide to ensure there's equal pay but it also ensures for example a founder that could be part of that offer committee to always double check right are we on track in terms of quality and if you organize this in a way where there are multiple times in a week where you have hiring committees and offer committee, it could really speed up the process. It will allow you have a certain quality bar and it allows for equal pay. And that doesn't mean you don't trust your hiring managers. I think a lot of times these hiring managers are also new. So you help them actually, you know, getting to educate them on the bar that you are looking for. So, um, yeah, I think, so I think definitely there's a lot like that are things that I've seen a lot, which, uh, I would invite people to think about when you're scaling and get to the next level, uh, as your organization. So when you're just starting out, at what point would you say, do you make your first talent hire, you know, as a founder team to also delegate a little bit of that work and how much do you still stay involved and then how do you want to build up this team over time so what are your best practices in terms of what you know what are some of the skills and capabilities that you would that you would expect from the the first employee in, in talent um what would this team look like after a, a series b funding round or a series c funding round and then how much involvement is there still of the founder founder team or in that case maybe even like the management team in uh, in, in total yeah i think it's a really good question to ask um and i think you know when back to your first kind of question when would you hire the first your first talent person or recruiter it's not black and white. That's, that depends on your trajectory and of course, kind of your hiring numbers. So if you're if you're getting significant numbers to hire in one year and you feel as a founder, you're not able to keep up to aid do your job and source talent and assess it, I think that's a great moment. 
And I see that happens a lot when a company is around 30 people, 30 to 50 people, when they start hiring their first recruiter, if they're lucky in, in, in these times, it's very hard to find uh, great recruiters, as probably a lot of you listeners know. And what you will find then in that organization, you know, as a startup, you are have very generic roles, right? There's very low specialization. As a startup, everyone does everything. Yeah, I mean, you open. If you're the founder, you still open the door. You're still the receptionist, right? And as a recruiter, you still buy the toilet paper and the lunch, right? For example, and you still recruit. That's what happens when you're in a startup. You do everything together, and you see that. I think also a lot reflecting into the, you know, the talent team. At the beginning, recruiters are mostly end-to-end recruiters. They source. They they build processes. They recruit and assess. And they make the offers, they even onboard. But while you're scaling, and especially, I think, in um, a moment uh, where you get, you know, your funding rounds have an uh, equity story at play, so I think Series B and C, uh, then it's worth considering to increase your specialization, A, in your organization as a whole, but B, also definitely in the talent uh, team. And the reason for that is, when there is an equity growth story, there's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on the talent team to drive numbers and deliver on them very fast. In, in, in those moments, important to create focus uh, and clear responsibilities in order to scale fast. And if you're looking at, you know, I think the talent space and, and, and the recruiter landscape, end-to-end recruitment consists out of a lot of different tasks uh, and I would say work packages have to so to say that has have total different dynamics sourcing requires research dedication hours in a row recruitment is a lot of ping-ponging someone calls you there's someone at the door you also need to talk to the stakeholders someone who wants a debrief you also need to spend time on assessing and creative processes and then you have recruitment coordinators that try to kind of schedule get all the schedules together, you know, get people into a room, etc. And it helps you if you tear those, I think, work packages apart to create focus and also to get the right people on the right role. Yeah. Uh, when you don't do that, there's a lot of, uh, there. there's no silver bullet, but a lot of recruiters enjoy the end-to-end. When there's high pressure, when you really scale, I see that recruiters tend to have not enough time to actually source. And in that case, you get the best people out of you hire the best people out of your pipeline pipeline instead of hiring the best people out of the market. Yeah. So I would be very much advocating for specialization when you really need to skill significantly. When you're looking on on more based on like, do you do that in-house or uh, uh, outsourced? I think in the current market, uh, it's very hard to find uh, good talent. Yeah, I, I'm not telling anyone anything new. Uh, that also comes back to recruitment, right? Because of all the capital flowing into Europe, like recru- great recruiters are very hard to found, find. Um, and I actually, it, it, and I've spoken about this before, I think it provides a very great opportunity for the recruitment and for the, the talent folks out there to actually uplift our function by actually being the one that have the discussions with the business on these are the trade-offs that you need to be willing to make in order to scale and that doesn't necessarily mean that that the recruitment or the talent team is all in-house yeah it's probably not realistic for the numbers that you want to hire if you want to scale these days 
in a very short period of time. What you would like to know from your talent team is what does it take? And then it's interesting to think about certain pockets that you can either outsource because people are already doing it. So you have already a machine working on, you know, with sourced pipelines, long lists, or automation when it comes to interview planning. Um, and it's worth to think about, do we have enough recruiters and, and capabilities and capacity-wise in the organization, or do we need to add some? And I've seen it working, dif I've seen different mo models working very well. I think the core is that uh, everyone should be aligned on what you're trying to build as an organization and that you as a recruitment team are partners. So it doesn't matter if you're an outsourced recruiter, so to say, or an in-house recruiter, it should all be one team with very clear, I think, standard processes and hiring bars. Uh, yeah, then I think that's, there are different ways on building your recruitment um, uh, model when you meet those fundamentals. Can you give a, a sort of a ballpark figure on when I've grown to 50 FTE, 100, 200 FTE as a ratio, how large would my talent acquisition team be at the different stages? Yeah, we always say, Nora, myself, it's like in general, your people org, I think that, that your people org and we have well resources with a lot of scale-ups and, and actually also uh, from scale-up to Series C. Um, your people org should be around 4% of your end-of-year headcount. Yeah? It's important to realize that people and recruiters are the drivers of that growth. So they should be hired first, right? So, so a lot of times you get into, into the discussion on why do we need so many recruiters? Yeah, because you want to hire so many people and they need to be in place right there and then in order to drive on that. From that 4%, when you scale very fast, a large, a large piece will be around recruitment. Yeah? The exact number differs because it depends on how you build the function up and where onboarding lies, etc. Right? But I think that gives you an idea about the whole people function. And it's something we try to educate on because a lot of organizations struggle with having a proactive people team, including recruitment, because they just miss uh, uh, capacity as well as capability, but a lot of times also capacity because they've been bootstrapped a lot. And when you want to grow, you cannot bootstrap the people org because then you will be very reactive. When I speak to early stage founders, one thing I always stress in conversations with them is that talent acquisition and getting key hires and the right people on board is one of their main tasks in the beginning when they're, when they're building the company, especially in a management function. How much would you see a founding team or the founders being involved also along the different stages? Are they really very much involved at the beginning? How much... You know, would you expect like their personal brand also to attract great talents? And then I still see some founders, even in a, in a Series B or a Series C company, very much involved in the recruiting processes um, and where they spend a lot of their time because it's, it's important to them or because they, they very much, much care about it. How do you see founders' involvement in talent acquisition change over the different stages? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think very involved. But throughout the different, I think, maturity models at different stages. So I think the time in the, the time they need to spend on recruitment stays so somewhere similar, uh, and that means a lot. A lot of times, more than one day a week, um, uh, and sometimes it, it stages even more. But it changes on where in the process. I think what I mentioned before, 
when you're very small, a founder is most of the time in the lead of recruitment, right? They recruit out of their network. They know that they recruit people they trust. And that is also great, right? Because you're starting, you're building out, you want to go fast. And you're basically, you are the recruitment process a lot of times, right? With one other person. Then when you grow and you're around, and again, let's don't, Let's not pin down on numbers because it depends a little bit also on the complexity of your business. But say you're around 30 to 50, hey, and you're struggling, and you now want to double possibly, you need to hire someone that dedicates their time on sourcing processes and recruiting so that you as the founder are not in the forefront because on, otherwise the only thing you will do is actually recruiting while you should be out there and setting up direction and strategy of the org in order to get to the next step. Um, so over time, I think the role of the founder changes of being the, basically the recruiter him, him or herself to someone that actually guides that process and facilitates the talent org to be successful. And in order to do that, it's, it's really important that there's very much clarity on a, what are we looking for? as an organization, what is our USP and what type of profiles do we need? And then together with, I think, the, the, the recruitment team actually create a very, very standardized recruitment process. And I always joke about that because you're now in this startup world and nothing is standardized. We're so not corporate and we do whatever we feel like. That doesn't work for recruitment. Recruitment is standardization because you can only assess against the same measurement and that's what you should do with every single candidate, especially if we talk about, you know, being as unbiased as possible. It needs to be the same every single time. Um, and what is very helpful for a founder to know, and that's, I think, very where recruitment can add a lot of value, is actually calculate and, and, and provide understanding about how much will it take an organization to hire X amount of people. Because a lot of times when we're saying, okay, we're, we're 100 people, we need to now uh, add another 100 people, we're, people start to run, we hire recruiters and off we go and we're also busy with like, it's a lot, it's a lot. But a lot of times I don't see a very educated understanding about what it means to hire those 100 people. So before going running around like crazy, I think what you would add, what you would need to get from a, from either yourself depends how your talent team looks like. But what we need to get to is understanding. Okay, if we want to hire hundred people on hundred on hundred people workforce, what does it mean for my workforce? And you do that by actually calculating your conversion ratios in the recruitment process, and then looking at okay, so for example, I want to hire one engineer. I have three. Uh, a three-step process, three interviews, and my ratios are four to one. I hire one out of four. It means you spend 12 hours to hire one person only on interviewing, excluding sourcing, attracting, uh, debriefs, reviewing profiles, offers, etc. And if you then calculate at times the X amount of engineers or any other talent you need to recruit, a lot of times this is a shock to the organization. And also a realization, is this even realistic? And it's great. I love this exercise because it allows you uh, to make a very, very clear decision on are you able to do it? And if so, what kind of adjustments do you need to make? I've never seen that you not make, that you don't have to make any adjustments. Because you go to a di different phase, we all know you need to iterate. 
And a lot of times you need to be sharper on the process and shorten it. You need to increase your interview community. You realize I don't have enough interviewers. If I need to do all these interviews, I will never sleep again, right? This is not how I envision to be, you know, <laughs> how success looks like. So, so you actually need to um, iterate uh, that piece. And sometimes it even means you need to be more realistic on what you are capable of, I would say, consuming as an organization when it comes to new hires. Um, and then you can calculate, okay, so what, this is what it means for the organization. So as an example, when I was leading basically a transformation from being an online retailer to a platform uh, in the tech organization, it meant that we needed to hire 2,000 people on a workforce of 600. They are bizarre numbers. It also meant a complete different process. And it also meant the realization everyone in the organization needs, in the tech organization, need to spend at least 20% of the time on hiring. 20% of the time, every engineer sp spends one day per week on interviewing. Well, um, that's not, uh, I was joked, that's not how you uh, make yourself very popular as a leader to actually convey that message. But it's important to realize because the time you spend on interviewing, you cannot spend elsewhere. You cannot spend on building a product or a service. So that trade-off needs to be made because otherwise people get very frustrated. And that, and, and with N26, it was even larger. We, they, they had to spend 25% of their time. And coming back to the role as founder, as founder, you then need to, you need to be the one that make, makes that trade-off. There's no one else that can do that because you will need to convey that message over and over again. Because with every month, new people join and will challenge you on this. Because a lot of people don't join to interview others, right? That's what initially recruiters are out there to do. And that's how it's felt. So I think there's an important founder to get, important role for a founder to again keep on encouraging this vision, keep on encouraging that people get recognized for actually doing that role of recruiting and assessing talent, and that's part of their objectives as a as an employee. So I don't think it necessarily gets get less over time. I think the 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 role of a founder in this process will will be different over time. One interesting thing that you just mentioned that I want to pick up on is standardized, pro standardized processes and standardized assessments also. And I believe the two of us are feel very strongly about diversity. So how do founders ensure that they have a diverse pipeline that they can hire from? Yeah. Yeah, I think it starts with with understanding what you're looking for. <laughs> diversity is a big topic. So what type of diverse talent are you looking for? Um, and to really think this through. Uh, and it's very likely that in specific areas of your organization, depending on how large you are, uh, it might be different, right? So you probably have dif different diversity targets per function. I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, really talking about it as an organization and the importance of that. And also as a founder, there's a big role on conveying that message. Yeah, a lot of times culture starts at the top with founders on how they're wired and what they think is important. So I think, you know, bringing that into the organization and having that conversation is, is really important as a start. And then, of course, we need to make sure that looking at and then making sure what does it take to be an inclusive culture 
hiring is one thing it's not the solution right if people leave again it, it means nothing so so thinking about what does it take to be an inclusive culture what do we need to do in order to to if you're not there yet to to ensure we we are diverse and inclusive the second is making sure that people feel equipped to 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 be unbiased in in in, in interviews right so sure there's a there's a way of you know implementing unconscious bias trainings and then We'll need to think about looking the, depending on your diversity targets where do we actually attract that talent from yeah it's all it's like always standard linkedin and all of that is that where if you're looking at that diverse pool of people that you're looking for are they actually active on linkedin or are they active somewhere else really thinking and, and profiling that group or that individual and thinking about those communities and start being active there um, and, and making sure that if you do, if you communicate either in job ads, in campaigns, that you're neutral, right? And there are great tooling out there that can actually help you get neutral language. It's super low key, but it's really important. Um, and then ensure for sure that um, you have a diverse recruitment team, A, and you have a diverse, uh, diverse hiring teams. Yeah, the amount of times that I've heard that, for example, on the engineering side, we need female, we need female engineers, and then there's only male engineers in the hiring team. So it's low hanging fruit, but it's like think around very deliberately on who needs to be in those interview pools in order to also attract the right people. And then from a sourcing angle, there are also multiple things you could do, but one I've seen very successful, and I pick out one, um, is the Rooney rule um that we embedded at uber and that comes from the fact that at uber uh, uh, and probably some of you listeners will know there were there was very male dominated at the top of the organization and there was a very clear conscious decision to change that and one of the things that became clear and as well researched is to conf to convert female talent it takes longer than male talent. So when you're under pressure, which I think a lot of you are, you tend to go with one, with a few good candidates, and then you're at that stage and you drop all the others and make a an hiring decision. And therefore it's not always diverse. And one of the reasons well, is that, and I'm very much generalizing, so I need to be very careful, but that's what, the, what, what we have seen and what was researched is that male and female are triggered and motivated by different things i think that's not new and especially when it comes to roles male tend to be more or easier motivated by title and salary which is easy to convey i tell you this you're like right this is interesting off we go let me go to the next round where female females are and again uh, general general speaking more motivated by okay what does this role entail how does the team look like what is the culture of the organization am i able to juggle it all and that takes time to convey that message to talk about different people and to actually make sure that they actually were open to actually go into this hiring process and be basically active uh, candidate so what they did at uber with the rooney rule and this is actually coming from uh, nfl and uh, they've done that very successful in the us with more underrepresentative uh, people, so it goes always. Every leadership role that needs to be hired at Uber four weeks in advance, only the sourcing team only sources for female talent actively four weeks. And after that four weeks, 
All pipelines are, go, go, are open, referrals, internal and active sourcing everywhere. And then the only thing they measure is healthy conversion rates, right? So that there are mixed uh, diversity in the funnel. And then the one other, the, the one other measurement is before you make a hiring decision, you, have see, you need to have seen one female candidate at final stage. This had huge effect. So for the business line that I worked for in one year, it changed the completely male leadership team, 100% male to 60% male and 40% female in 12 months. This is super powerful. Nobody ever spoke about lowering a quality bar. It is not even a discussion that that was even health. Even stronger, like every new recruiter that came in, leaders would say, you told them about the Rooney rule, right? Like we should not forget about it. So people were like, Everyone in the organization was super excited about it because it just worked. And of course, you need to have vacancies, right? You cannot change ratios when there's no opportunity and all of that. But it shows us that the, the discussion about quality is not the right discussion to have. It's more about how do we access and attract the right diversity in the pipeline. And some of the points that you touched upon right now that the, the different groups would be interested in um, goes in line with... I guess what, what you see a lot in the current very, very competitive talent market um, and you can't or the, the, the you know, early stage uh, companies or scale ups, you can't only attract great talent through uh, salary or through a fancy title. But for many people out there, specifically times have changed, you know, remote work is becoming or distributed teams are becoming a lot more important. For people to take into consideration if they want to join a new company what are some of the you know tactics keeping these let's say criteria in mind for early stage companies without a strong brand to still attract top talent that might nowadays not only be motivated by a great package or by uh, by a, a fancy title yeah it's a good question i think there's a great opportunity for for i would say more smaller companies to differentiate. And one of the things to differentiate is, is when we start hiring, we think a lot on adding recruiters. Yeah. But if you have like, and especially in this, these days, when you have no brands, you're going to lure and get people sourcing. People try to convey this message one by one. It's hard work. And then when you are not great in your storyline or in the interview process, you're not aligned on that storyline or, or your mission, then you lose people very quickly. So I would invite founders to think about when you start scaling to add, I would say, employer branding or marketing capabilities into your organization to think about creative ways to tell your story. I mean, it's researched uh, over and over that uh, the last generations are not only driven by salary, even stronger, mission and vision is number one. So that if you think about that, it's a great opportunity. You're still small. You are not a bureaucracy. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't have to cost a lot, right? So if you think very deliberately about what is the story that we're telling, and you, you actually think about campaigns and, and I would say creative ways on getting that to the right people, not to the world, to the right people, yeah, it can be very powerful. Um, and... Um, um, 
And then secondly, I think, yeah, making sure that in your hiring process, you're also deliberate about which piece of the story do you tell when. So people stay intrigued, right? Um, and again, that doesn't cost money, but will bring you a long way. So I would always trade in the beginning, uh, sure, you need a recruiter, but also trade maybe one other resource to have a very fantastic marketeer. Yeah, and have some, something creative. And a lot of times, a lot of people in your organization, when you steer and focus them directly, and when they love their job and the mission they're on, are exciting to share and tip in. So I think that's, that, that's, that's, that's one piece. The other piece is, uh, uh, another part of that story is think about how you could stand out, right? So on flexible benefits, I think post-COVID, we can be very creative uh, with workations, with, you know, recognize, uh, recognition um, uh, programs, with giving free days off for certain in certain regions, being inclusive on that, and actually pride yourself on giving specific holidays um uh, uh off think about other flexible benefits that are benefits that are important to your community i think cooking classes all of that it doesn't cost so much sometimes it's just building that community and allowing that to happen in your organization people like we have learned now more than ever people like to kind of form bonds and communities people felt very lost the last two years and for us there's an opportunity to actually get the get in a formal way more informal communities right to actually enable that a bit more um yeah and share that i think more external is really helpful too uh, an opportunity so um yeah that's that's what i would definitely uh, start with does uh, i see a few companies here in the in the berlin startup ecosystem um, hiring fantastic talents from the U.S., Silicon Valley, and specifically. So, how do I track that sort of talent um, if I don't have the same deep pockets as somebody else? Yeah, yeah. I will start coming back to my how we started the podcast. Is first think about what are you trying to get out of this profile, this role, this person. Yeah, and if you would, that's first of all. Does that mean that there are certain technology more present in, for example, the Valley that is currently not present in Europe? Um, then it could be a deliberate move to actually move elsewhere. I've seen also a lot of the opposite, this bias for the Valley and, and neglecting Europe and therefore making yourself very difficult to hire. So I, I, I want to point that out. But I also work with, 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 we work with companies that actually are in need to go to the valley because that technology is way more further developed than in Europe. And they're the first doing it in Europe. I think, A, talk about your mission and vision. Like if one community is driven by disruption and what you're trying to uh, uh, build, I think it's, it's, it's in the valley, right? I think there you need to be very clear. Second piece is that we have less so in Europe and we're starting to see this way more thought about how we employ equity in order to attract and retain the right talent. Uh, it's also from a tax purpose, you know, not well established yet in Europe. We've seen some good initiatives in Germany now. So I think it's going to be more common. And I think it's important for companies to think about, you know, how do we use a piece of that equity to, to attract the right people? And thirdly, I think you could pay for some roles, you could pay like, I think very large sums if you're very deliberate, 
Yeah, and you're very clear. So again, think very much, think around your workforce, think about some of those roles that are the exception because A, you need executive leadership, A, you need specific um, expertise that is just very pricey. Then you need to deliberately pay that and make sure that you manage an output, right? That doesn't mean you need to across the board, need every hire the whole team out of the valley because that's just not doable. So yeah, thinking through that, I think um, uh, could be very helpful uh, and also allows you to, to sometimes actually hire from the US, but it's across the board, of course, very difficult for multiple reasons, not only salary. So with that wealth of knowledge that you have and your 15 years of experience as a global talent leader, how are you putting this all together nowadays? Tell us a little bit, of, a little bit about Invested and what you're up to these days. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, so I started Invested with Noor van Boven, who I knew from back in the days, 12 years at TomTom. We always wanted to start to work together. And basically, we always did in our career. But and now we're officially working together. And what we're out to do is, we, what we enjoy and what we're out there to do is help organizations to successfully scale. Right? And to set up your organization well for their next phase. Um, so we do that either by consulting or investing. I think it's 50-50 it's at this time. From an investing perspective, we're especially focused on the future of work and fintech uh, companies, and ideally a blend that makes us very excited. Um, and, and also with a, with a diversity lens, right? So we want to ensure that there is, you know, uh, equal uh, capital divide and that's why we're very motivated to also invest um, on the first talent um, but it's not exclusively like that so i think that's from the investment uh, angle on the consultancy angle we help help a lot of different organizations but what we are helping with is you know how do you set up your organization your operating model for the next phase yeah how do you organize yourself how how does the leadership team needs to look like? What kind of capabilities do you need in your organization in order to actually meet your ambitious goals? And also, how do you build people teams that are um, proactive and can help you deliver on that growth? And we do that, uh, I think, um, not I think, I know, because I'm here, but <laughs> we do that by, uh, globally. So mo the major of our customers are in Europe. We have, we have quite a few customers in Africa and in the US. And we're starting to see so a movement towards uh, Australia. So, yeah, very exciting. And basically, um, yeah, so if you need help in the future, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we're always excited to at least offer help firsthand, right? Uh, and then if there's um, more that we can help you with, we can always talk about, you know, larger uh, projects. Amazing, Anna. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your knowledge on talent acquisition um, with us today and with all the listeners out there. I think the sort of information and insights you gave are extremely helpful for anybody out there building up their organization or scaling up their organizations at the moment uh, in a competitive market. And thank you so much for taking the time and we'll speak soon. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Charlotte. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.